Ladies and gentlemen, this week we are talking about Window Will, the true crime story of Will who breaks into people's houses and replaces their old windows with new windows. Uh, here on our true crime podcast, I am joined by our co-host, Ryan Shaver. Ryan, would you like to introduce the name of our show? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for setting that up. Really lovely call and really nice and subtle. Um, we've uh, chosen the name That's Curtains for the podcast because he, you know, he comes in, he fixes the issues and that's, you know, that's curtains for them. Um, <laughs> and there's really no more problem when it comes to the windows. Uh, remind me, co-host Ryan uh, of this true crime podcast does window will include the curtains in this in these crimes or is it just the windows that's going to be a seasonal thing i mean he's he's a busy he's got a full-time job um i because i read that you could determine his location of where these crimes are happening based on whether or not he's including curtains with the job well see that's just mostly conjecture at this point so again it's going to be seasonal now what he will do he's he's good for windex He's good for uh-huh. ammonia-free. The dog can lick those windows. He- oh. Heck, bring the kid around. Get a nice, you know, a nice little bring all it. over that window. Oh. It's it's ammonia-free. That is a 2019 dog inclusion. I actually am starting to appreciate this criminal. Uh, let's should we get on with the show? Talk about the origins of Window Will and <laughs> that's not that's curtains. Uh, that's not a true crime podcast. Um, this is actually bar to death. Season two! Welcome back, Bardites. Oh, it's good to be back. Can I just say, Uh, can I interrupt your intro and say it's good to be back? I, for one, was always confident that we would come back. It was always a certainty and never in question that this podcast was was definitely coming back for season two. I can't tell you how many times I lied to people who were like, season two, right? And I'd be like, yeah, definitely. And I had no idea if we were coming back. Oh, yeah. It's in the works. <laughs> Cut to a scene of just mass demolition. We, we said summer and summer's still going. So we're yeah. good. We're at the end of it, but... We had a few conversations. We stepped away, caught our breath. Um, and I think we're feeling re-energized, soaked for, uh, I guess we should lay out the vision for season two, right, Cole? I would love that. And I'd like to start by laying out this, the scene here. I already feel more relaxed in season two yeah. because we are in armchairs. We got, Ryan's got a nice leather armchair. I'm actually on a couch. I'm not an armchair. Um, I moved and I'm not, not being in a desk feels amazing. Yeah, last all season one, I sat on this like wooden chair at this cramped like <laughs> little house chair. on little house on the prairie desk. <laughs> Major ergo issues. I'm in this pottery barn leather chair, just like oh. Gramps sat in, just like Gramps died in. I mean, you gotta like <laughs> it might be the same one. R.I.P. It's super comfy. Oh my gosh! No, no joke. There's something behind you. I see like there's like, okay, some sort of on. ghost or spirit behind you. Okay. Please stop. So stupid. <laughs> All right, t- tell us what season two is about, right? Pe- the people have been dying to know. It's just a grandpa just changing to Fox <laughs> News. <laughs> well, some things never change. Um, oh. Season two. So we're going to keep some things that we think worked from season one. We're also going to mess with the formula a little bit, hopefully to open up, hopefully to open things up a bit and kind of break some boundaries, but also keep some structure. 
So as of today, we are going to come at you with an eight-episode season two limited mm. edition series run. Um, each week, instead of one person being the bard and kind of creating this one-way storytelling, which which we had some fun with, instead we're going to come prepared with just one word as our guide, as mm. our theme for that week. Um, it'll be broad, but kind of universal, something that provokes maybe stories, uh, philosophical thoughts, um, content. Um, and I think, I think it'll be the right kind of, uh, to borrow your own metaphor from season one, the kind of like street light that we need to illuminate our, our path moving forward. Yeah. And I'm uh, incredibly excited about this because the themes that Ryan, um, and, and much of this was, was to his credit, Ryan's idea when we were kind of brainstorming how to shift things up a little bit. Um, the themes that we kind of talked about are very broad, as you said, and, um, for me at least, and kind of thinking through these themes, a ton of stories came out of it, like scenes and movies that I love quotes that I love. And I feel like the themes that we have listed right now are very much like themes that the best stories in the world, whether that's through, you know, a book or a short story or uh, a movie, you know, whatever meet, whatever storytelling medium that is, are, these are the kind of the themes that stories get wrapped in. They're that universal and they're that big. And I was, I was pretty shocked. And, and it's the same kind of thing with, with season one in terms of we're not, um, Ryan and I aren't, we don't, I don't know what Ryan's coming to this conversation exactly. with. Exactly. All we have is one word and kind of whatever comes to mind when you think of that word, that's what we're going to talk about. And the first word for this episode is laughter. Laughter. We had, we feel like we had to start there just because that's an incredibly, uh, as, as we'll talk about, that's an incredibly, um, probably the most, one of the, uh, probably the most important thing to me in life. Uh, it's up there. Um, and I want to kind of get into that a little bit, but um, yeah, we, uh, so yeah, we're both going to be barding throughout this season and, um, hopefully you won't be bored to death. And what do you think, Ryan? Should we get into it without further ado? Yeah. I think we have some other changes. Oh yeah. Right. Regarding- I, have to, I, have to, I have to tell a story. I'm sorry. I mentioned it to you, Ryan. <laughs> I, a kid recently was like, dude, I can't wait for season two bard to death. And at this point it had been confirmed. Ryan and I had been talking and recording. I said, yeah, I mean, either like it's it's gonna be amazing. He's like, is anything changing? And I'm like, no, it's the exact same show. Like we're super stoked. And he's like, oh, good, because I can't wait for the micro stories. <laughs> and I just I just started laughing and I said, it's not the same show. We are bagging the micro stories. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I'll just mention that. We'll just come clean. There's not going to be any more micro stories. Uh, do you want this tell season? Us, this season, um, you want to tell us why, Ry? Yeah, honestly, if we're being totally candid. I dream of just doing micro stories. I would prefer to just like go listen to other people tell their stories. The micro Having stories se- were a blast. Yeah, and and reception was great for each and every one of them. We're just not equipped for bandwidth right now to go and do them. It, it just ended up being um, a lot more work. We both just immediately became administrative assistants where we were just like scheduling things, trying to get people's story in. And we couldn't get the audio quality the way we wanted. And um, for season two, we're just not like equipped to do it. So Mm -hmm. hold tight. Maybe season three could come back if we could figure out a way to facilitate that with people in studio with better mics um, than TBD on that. 
Yeah, and also just throw out that um, quick reminder for those of you uh, who don't know, Ryan lives in Boston. Um, I live in North Carolina. We do this over Skype. And so it's already like, uh, there's already a, a good amount of technical challenges to that. And then to throw in another voice who is local to only one of us was really challenging. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was unsustainable. And so we'd rather y'all have some, you know, a podcast uh, without the micro stories than rather no podcast at all. And, uh, and if so- you disagree with that, then just don't tell us. <laughs> then you just don't tell us. And yeah, all those great voices, like additional voices we in- incorporated last season, they're all gone now. We're back to just, <laughs> we're, we're back to just me and Ryan on the mic. So if you weren't a fan of us, uh, you're not going to like the show anymore. And <laughs> go find another show. I've got about 15 I can recommend. Yeah, it's basically just like a McFlurry without like the <laughs> Oreo. It's just pretty vanilla at this point moving forward. Yeah, yeah, and male, male-centric. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's dive into laughter, Cole. <laughs> let's dive into laughter. Since we're laughing, let's oh, dive. man, what do you got for this, man? I'm so eager to hear. Dude, I just want to start off. I love laughing. It's... Oh, my gosh. And there's there's different kinds of laughter i love that it's not all the same kind like Mm. sometimes we feign laughter uh and there's nothing wrong with that like sometimes you put on a little show to to let someone know you're you're digging the conversation other times it's like there's laughter without actually laughing you can find Mm. something funny without showing it other times you are literally broken down into tears and you're in pain and maybe like physically falling on the floor. I, I just love that there are different flavors first off, that it's not mm. all created equal. That's a great point. Um, yeah, I think I was, man, I thought a lot about this cause like for me, laughter is, I think the most, it's the thing I look forward to most about life. Um, is, is laughing and making other people laugh. And I, and I genuinely feel like for me, it is at the core of everything that I am and do and believe. And that, um, a Maya Angelou quote that I absolutely love is I don't trust anyone who doesn't laugh. Um, and that's exactly how I feel. Like I was even thinking about like, okay, uh, my relationship with my wife and my, you know, my relationship with my closest friends, um, uh, Josh and Ryan and Johnny and Matt and, uh, I'm, I'm space Andrew, of course, uh, you know, I, you should I, not have mentioned, I start mentioning, yeah, you definitely Dana, started I just start, I just start missing but Colin, uh, yeah. the guy from the coffee shop <laughs> the that guy. we talked one time, close friend. I love him. Well, no, I mean, seriously though, like, um, the, I, I really thought a lot about this and, it's like the the my closest friends and the people that I trust the most are the ones who have the best senses of humor. And like you and I, Ryan, spend, I feel like the majority, the majority of our friendship, how long have we been friends now? When did we become friends? High school? 12, 12 years. 12 years has just been trying to make the other person laugh more. It's been one constant, like, it's like a competition of sorts. <laughs> it is. And it's the best because... We both know that within one another, I think there is a performer and an audience like simultaneously at all times. Yeah. Dude, going to dinner with your family in like high school and college, I would literally try and consciously bring my A game. I was like, <laughs> I, I have to, at, at some point, I have to get everyone laughing. And, and if and when you do, there was like this euphoric, it was like hitting a, 
like a three pointer and the whole team, you know, gathers around <laughs> you. It's like, yes, I contributed and the, the guac is here now and I'm super happy. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because my family is like hilarious. Um, my, and at the core of that is really my dad who is a hysterical human being. And like one of the funniest, quick-witted people I know, um, incredibly sharp, always like my friends have always found my dad incredibly funny, which yeah. in turn is like enhanced the comedy of not only of like me and like my brothers, but like anyone that comes into that is like also starts to compete for laughs with my dad. And it like, he, he makes us all funnier, I think in that regard. And my brother Ken is like one of the funniest people I know, um, his his comedy is incredibly bold and uh, at times borderline <laughs> offensive. Dude, Ken is, but, but it's hysterical, and it's like, he might be the funniest person I I know. Well, and okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 the dude is just like dating back to high school. I you know I was younger, and yeah. he's like the cool old, older brother. Yep, and that that dude just let it rip. I do have like one of my first memories of of him just like roasting you. <laughs> Oh no! Uh, we, we were probably like juniors in high school, and he was a senior, and we were playing poker, and someone brought up the MTV show, uh, "My Super Sweet 16. I don't remember this at all. <laughs> of course, you shouldn't. It's it's very forgettable. Unless I don't e- I don't even know why I remember it. And Is so this someone a show talk- about like the crazy 16, sweet sixteens. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So this was like a very like mid two thousands show about like spoiled brats whose dads you know bought them a beamer and like I also just am an idiot because I was like, is this a show about the super three sixties? <laughs> what's cra- what's crime scene investigation San Diego about? <laughs> okay. So someone brings up my super sweet sixteen. And this is the poker table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we're yeah, just yeah. riffing around a circle. And Ken just says, oh, yeah, Colin gets naked to that show. <laughs> and I have no idea why that was so funny to me. I don't but remember at a- that at all. At age 17, it was like the funniest roast I had ever heard up to that point. <laughs> I do remember getting naked to that show, but I don't remember the joke. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. Yeah, like he, oh, my gosh, he would roast us so bad. Like, um yeah, I mean, like, some, there's some serious, and it's just, it's like, he roasts you, and it's like, it hurt, of, yes, it hurts your feelings, and it's, he's like commenting on very real things, but it's so funny that you can't help but laugh, which makes it like worse, because you're like, oh, God, that's so good, that's so clever, that's so creative. Um, anyway. Yeah, yeah, hysterical dude. human being. And my and I I'd say, I want to throw my mom in there because my mom not only is she uh very funny, but she's an incredible audience. Like my mom my mom's laugh, like you and I have jokes about it's how intense my mom's laugh is so next level that like you just wanna you wanna like aspire to the type of comedy that like a laugh like that does she like throws her head back, like her whole body's involved in it. Things are vases are falling and breaking. <laughs> like dude, it is like it's an intense tr- laugh. <laughs> It's the trumpet in the book of Revelation. It is just, it signals to the seven kingdoms. There's lions emerging from the forest. It's, if and when you reach that register, you know you've just reached Mm -hmm. the peak of comedy. Um, My younger brother has always been like the introvert of the family too. But his, his like quiet, quick witted comedy has, as he's gotten older, has, has, like has been completely underappreciated and is hysterical as well. So I don't know, like my whole family is like, if there's just us at dinner, it's like us just riffing on stuff and making each other laugh and making fun of each other. And it's the best. Can I drop a quick Kev anecdote? And this, 
TBH, this might get edited out, but I, we can talk if we want to keep it. Um, okay. Why <laughs> So one time we go out to eat and then the typical kind of, you know, post dinner thing is to, you know, like go back to your dad's, mm-hmm. kick a film, have a beer, have it, have maybe some dessert. And <laughs> you said something to your dad. I don't remember what it was, but it was like borderline naggy. It was like, oh, we're out of this or oh, I need this to be different. And we're at his house and he's just sitting in his leather recliner <laughs> and he just pauses, turns around and looks at you and says, would you climb down out of my ass for one second? <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, we this, can't, that's got to stay in. That's too good. This methodical, yeah. sober, just can you please get off my back for one second? <laughs> yeah. But I had never heard that, that verbiage before. <laughs> yep. That's my dad. Always creative with the verbiage. Um, your, so your family though, just like, I think I just was like exposed to like loving roasting. Yeah, for the first time, and and honestly, dude, I I think roasting is one of my favorite things in this world, and and you only really roast those you love the most because mm-hmm. you have confidence they won't leave you. But <laughs> yeah, um, I was just say, oh my gosh, this is like, yeah, I love this. We're getting deep into the psyche of my marriage too here, which is like me roasting my wife way too hard, and then being like, it's oh, yeah. a joke, like it's it's because I love you, like that's <laughs> I me. love you so much, I love you so much that I have to destroy you in this bit and it's it's it is i have to explain like i didn't grow up with sisters like this was um this i grew up with two brothers and we roasted each other and that was like how we communicated love and the the harder you roasted the more you cared because the the roast got they they burned more because they got, they were true. Right. And they they tapped into like your deepest insecurity and like another human being who is your sibling being able to say like, I know you so well that I know that you're, you think your hips are effeminate or I know, you know, that's like a John Mulaney bit, but I I know, you know, like that you're embarrassed by what, you know, whatever it might be. So of course I'm going to make jokes about it so that it, I think in some way like loses its power. And that's that might be too like I might be reaching here or making it too like spiritual or like uplifting, but I don't know. For me, it it is like laughter is an incredibly spiritual thing, and and like what's what's one of the quotes I pulled? Um, th- these are just some quotes I've I've like had or scribbled down over the years, like from laugh- Wiki quote. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, this is an Anne Lamott quote that I was like, laughter, nice. is, laughter is carbonated holiness. Um, oh, that's good. I think that's good. Uh, this is Kurt Vonnegut. Laughter and tears are both responses to frustration and exhaustion. I myself prefer to laugh since there's less cleaning up to do afterward. Um, I've always liked that one. And that's then, good. Uh, Mark Twain, human race has only one really effective weapon and that's laughter. Um, yeah. And then there's That's, one other one which I want to get into later, but possibly Woody Allen. They don't know where it comes from. I did have to, I did have to Google the origin of this, but this is always a formula I've had stashed away. Comedy is tragedy equals tragedy plus time. Yeah, um, and we can. I want to talk about that formula later on, but yeah, man, yeah. it's like there's something about it. Yeah, my my kind of last thought on the roasting thing before we yeah let's yeah segue is that I think being roasted is like essential to individual growth and like staying humble, staying self-aware, like putting on thick skin mm-hmm. and like learning to be roasted in a healthy setting, I think can kind of armor you for life in a weird way. Mm. It's like, 
because it forces you to a like confront your flaws and and um, if you can kind of shelve your pride and like laugh at yourself, then I, I, mm-hmm. I think you're you're probably doing fine. It's the people where you're like, oh, I, I can't roast this person. It's like ah, those eggshell people. You might want to, um, you know, stay away from or I don't know. Just mm-hmm. I I I choose I I want to surround myself with people who can laugh at the world, but also more importantly, laugh at themselves. Um, oh and my then, gosh, like, yeah, give it back. Yeah, I for a second there, you know, for a while, I was like, oh, roasting is such a male gene. And then, like, my girlfriend just, like, torches, like, <laughs> Starbucks, dark roast, all day. <laughs> Bikes just place. Like, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, I, it's definitely not a male gene. Oh, um, dude, no, not at all. My wife burns me, so, like, sometimes so, so hard, and, and, and likewise. But, yeah, she's like... And I'm, and I'm, and I have no doubt that Chelsea is, is the same with you. That's, that's good. That makes me happy to hear that. But yeah, it's like, those are the people that know you the best and know like what you're dealing with. And I think for my wife, like her best roasts on me are the ones that bring me back to the planet earth. Um, that like when I've just gotten like my head's gotten too big or I've, you know, I thought she'll crack a joke that like just totally like brings me back to my knees. (laughs) It's like, Oh dude, it's a humbling experience to be genuinely positively roasted. Yeah. And then like your first instinct is to just like totally fight back. And then you just, you just buckle. (laughs) You're like, well, she's right. Yeah. These, these shoes are ridiculous. Um, I don't know why I thought you meant like planet earth. And then I just went to like to the BBC series and I just saw you getting <laughs> devoured by a cheetah. Oh dude. And, and I think for me and I, we can talk about this too with, with laughter and maybe more so with comedy, but for me getting someone to laugh and like saying something as a roast or a bit, um, is an incredible way to tell truth. Yeah. And it's like, you could say to somebody, um, I can't tell you how many situations I've been in. Um, like, so I'm a pastor. I remember once like a friend of mine preached a sermon and I was there and it was incredibly long. It it was so long. And you could say, Hey, your sermon was way too long. Like in the feedback portion, if they like are asking like how it went, you could say it was entirely too long. Or you could just say, I don't think it was long enough. (laughs) You know, like you could just throw that out. And it's like, that is so much more, I think, uh, disarming. And like, and it's like the, it's like the the friends of mine who I trust, of course, are going to laugh at that and be like, yeah, that was way too long. And then, yeah, yeah, it's, it's such a more, I have found it to be an incredibly effective way of truth telling. And it can, it can definitely be passive aggressive and can come off as, you know, like inauthentic. And I, I definitely struggle with tact not because I can't recognize the difference, but sometimes I just like let the Jesselnik in me get the best of me. <laughs> Ryan's referring to Anthony Jesselnik, who is a, uh, they call him a deadpan comic. He's the be- meanest comic alive. He's and the he's meanest hilarious. comic alive. And he, his entire stand-up performance is just him acting and, and being, uh, showing no emotion and saying like some of the most hurtful, offensive things to people. Um, and it's hard at times not to laugh along with him. Um, but he is, he's, he's kind of the master of what they call a deadpan style of comedy, which is show no emotion and just hurt people's feelings. Yeah. Like a few weeks ago, my, my girlfriend and her roommate just moved into a new place and they have like a shared backyard that's next to some neighbors. And so Mm -hmm. I came over and the neighbors were, there was like seven or eight of them. And this one girl was 
talking about like mermaids or something about how they might be real. <laughs> and she, she kind of had a Valley girl accent, which wasn't a great start. And she mentioned a target. I love it. She mentioned them like being able to dive to the, the bottom of the ocean. I was like, Oh cool. Can you go there? And it, oh, God. I, oh, I don't, I don't think she like recognized it or she just was confused. She just flips a mermaid tail out of nowhere and smacks you in the face. <laughs> I definitely didn't feel good about it afterwards. I was like, ah, that I let it get the best of me. Like, there's a healthy roast level. Um, yeah, yeah, that may be unhealthy. I think I would. Yeah. I just probably would have started by mistakenly uh, calling her Ariel, and <laughs> <laughs> just especially if her name was like Allison or something. Um, yeah. But oh, that's hilarious. Yep. Um, I, I want to touch on something that that you alluded to in, in one of your, um, your quotes. <laughs> half-assed internet research one, one of your <laughs> one of your many many quotes who can recall which one um because i had one that's similar it's the link between i think it was the mark twain one the link between like comedy and sadness um i i read that humor oh, yeah, is the mi- yeah uh humor is the mistress of tears and like mm. i think at this point the link between like stand-up comedians and depression is pretty like well paved but i think we can go even broader, mm-hmm. you know, the go back hundreds of years to like the court jester and, and the kind of the iconography of them, like the, the heck the two drama faces, right? Like the, yeah, the, the sad, the, the ma- sad clown kind of thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like there's no secret that laughter, which we so often associate with happiness and joy is like maybe the other side of a coin that has to do with despair and dread. Um, is that something that you, you think about often that you buy into? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think the reason, um, there's the new, uh, the new Joker trailer. So Todd, Todd Phillips is directing a Joker movie. Oh, it looks great. Oh, it looks amazing. And it looks terrifying. Yeah. Joaquin, um, (laughs) Joaquin Phoenix. That's my entourage pronunciation. Um, is playing the Joker and there's a scene in the trailer where he's like looking at himself in the mirror and he's like, he's, he's, he has the painting of a clown and he starts pulling his smile into a, like a, like a grimace and it's just terrifying. And at some point there's like, he says, I used to think that my life was a tragedy, but now I think it's just a comedy. And it's obviously like a failed, the, the whole story of the movie that Phillips is directing about the Joker is I think the, the IMDb, plot summary is a failed stand-up comedian becomes a murdering psychopath is yeah. like just the one line and i feel like he's exploring that like comedy does come from a place of tragedy and you've got like the seinfeld style comedy which is like oh aren't the hand dryers really inefficient right and it's like yeah. he's not really talking about his life he doesn't seem like a tragic person at all but then you've yeah. got like same creator the larry david kind of curb your enthusiasm comedy which is like there's he's joking about how like life is tough for him it's like tragic mm-hmm. you know like and i th- and i think there is absolutely um a darkness to comedy that some of the funniest things i've experienced have been in a hospital working as a chaplain with, with people who are dying with patients who are dying um because there's like a a vulnerability that's, I don't know. Yeah. Like the link between tragedy and comedy is really interesting to me. And I think there's definitely something there. I don't have uh, any other thing other than that. Like, yeah, that, that quote comedy equals tragedy plus time. And I feel like it does take a little bit of time to be able to laugh about, although like, 
I don't know. My my therapist has said that where as most people something happens uh and then they process it and then they're able to laugh about it. Something happens to me, I laugh about it and then through that laughter head into processing. So like my therapist is actually named over time that he thinks my process is kind of reversed, which is mm. interesting. Um which of course makes me feel more screwed up. Uh but <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What any thoughts to that? I'm just I'm just rambling over here. That's that's interesting. I I've always thought and uh, trigger warning, I probably am going to like sound like a jerk here, which I, I kind of am a jerk a lot of the times and it's something I want to work on clearly still, with mermaid, mermaid girl. Mermaid um, <laughs> but I've always thought that if one is wholly happy and satisfied and like joyful internally mm-hmm. and with how they view the world, then they don't really need to seek you know, excessive amounts of laughter or jokes or comedy because those things are coping mechanisms in in a large, in a large way. Mm -hmm. On the contrary, if your life is either, you know, mundane or despair inducing, or, you know, for lack of a better word, if you spend a lot of your time sad when you're alone and undistracted, then all of a sudden you might start seeking to make a joke or you know, to make light of the world when when you have opportunities or maybe every opportunity you can because it is a coping mechanism, because it is relief. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I always thought some of the funniest people and, and, and ideas I've ever encountered, at the root of them is sadness. Like if you trace them... Mm-hmm. At its core, sad. I mean, and and this is you know reflects in very obvious ways, like Louis C.K., um, mm. Dave Chappelle, even um, you know a, a bajillion comedians have like talked about their depression before. Mm-hmm. But t- heck, talk about the Joker! Like there is like this whole genre of film called dark comedy or black comedy, Fargo, In Bruges. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go all day about they they name films. they name funny people as a as a black funny comedy people. yeah which is one of my favorite movies about laughter and stand up comedy and it's a dark movie yeah and I don't want to suggest that like healthy happy people can't also be funny because of course that's not the case mm-hmm. but to quote funny people Jonah Hill says like no one wants to see Lance Armstrong do comedy yeah you're too physically fit to do comedy he says you need to gain some weight it's like his advice yeah. to Seth Rogen he who lost weight like you lost too much weight you're no longer funny there's nothing funny about a physically fit comic yeah no it's like the joke Lance that Armstrong like do comedy. Yeah. it's like the joke that like good-looking people can't be funny of yeah. course it's not actually true and yet there's like some kernel of like everyone's like well yeah, yeah. Also, like, but then there's like things where like Jennifer Lawrence is funny, and we're like, we don't know what to do. We're like, how is she this? <laughs> yeah, or like Bradley Cooper doing comedy is is very sad for me. Um, <laughs> oh, totally. Dep- like Gosling is just like yeah, depressing. yeah. When Ryan Gosling's funny is is yeah. Idris Elba, like when he does comedic stuff, like when he did The Office, I thought that was uh, that was. The there's n- this the nadir of there's this like, existential gap. It doesn't make this logic. Yeah. They're like this doesn't make sense. How can this also be? 
Yeah, yeah. All right, so I have to bring this up because we're talking about funny people. It's it's one of the roast scenes from Funny People, and I actually went and Googled the scene word for word because I love it so much. And Ryan, you're going to know this scene, but um, this is a this is a Judd Apatow movie um, that's essentially like Seth Rogen, Adam Sandler, Jonah Hill, uh, yeah. Jason Schwartzman, all kind of playing like versions of themselves as, as comics. Aziz and Sorry, uh, Audrey um, or Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. Um, Bo Burnham has a little bit in it. Who's one of my favorite comics? Weird um, that you know all the men's names and you stumbled over the one <laughs> female comic. I know. I said so Audrey it's, Plaza. It's Audrey uh, Plaza. Uh, what, she's she's forgettable, <laughs> but oh, yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> no, she's not. Um, okay, here's the scene. Uh, so Jason Schwartzman, who's kind of the tool of the friend group. You already know yeah. which one I'm doing. When I was younger, my grandfather died, and we're all <laughs> gathered around him, and there was one candle next to his bed. And right after he died, the candle started flickering, and then it just went out. And Seth Rogen's like, wow. And he continues, Jason continues, we looked around the room, and there were no windows in the room. Like, nothing that could have caused a breeze. And it sounds crazy, but we all thought that was him going to heaven. And then Jonah Hill, who's kind of listening, just says, you don't pass through fire to get to heaven. (laughs) I think he went to hell. (laughs) <laughs> Jason goes, what? he goes, what did you just say to me? And he says, I think your grandfather probably went to hell. <laughs> and Jason says, are you serious right now? You're going to make fun of me after I'm opening up to you guys like that? And he says, it's not my fault your grandfather's going to hell. Don't be super <laughs> bummed out because your grandfather's playing backgammon with Hitler right now. <laughs> it's like this That's horribly, so it's so funny because it's like the roast that is also like, uh, offensive to the to Jason, obviously, but also maybe strangely comforting because like his friend is a, like knows him that well and is able to joke about his grandfather going yeah. to hell. Yeah, I could quote that movie all day. I I think it's a super flawed film, and and I don't want to turn this into a funny people pod, but mm-hmm. I think what the first half of that movie does really well is show a the the darkness, the insecurity at the heart of not only comedians but a lot of comedy, but then just mm-hmm. like how cathartic it can be just to have that kind of like dialectical friendship, that push yeah. and pull where like support love looks often like just darkness and like yeah, macabre yeah. macabre um statements about someone you love dearly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah, and i th- i i I don't know, like, can we also talk about, not to, not to like overly pivot, but, um, can we talk about why things are funnier when you're not supposed to laugh? Like, and and I think maybe there's something about adolescence with that, but, um, okay. So I was at a friend's like ordination service recently. This is like a super big deal in the church Mm. world. This is like where you celebrate, you know, like this decision this person has made, like what God is doing in their life. And it's, it's the service where essentially like they kind of take on this like pastoral calling. And so we're at this thing and it's very serious and intense, but it's also very celebratory. And one of the people that, um, this particular friend had speak for them, um, was wearing like an ordination stole, like a robe and the ordination stole and the stole was beautiful. Um, but it was like, had a bunch of like, um, like handprints on it, like uh, a kid or someone had like put their hand in paint and like had uh, put, you know, essentially like hand painted the stole with all of like these different uh, hands and they're in different colored paints, you know, red, yellow, all that stuff. And it was this beautiful stole. And I'm sure that's actually how it was made. And it has this beautiful story behind it. But 
And I don't, I don't know this. I know my friend really well, you know, who the services were, but I don't know this person at all. And he gets up and starts talking and the stole he's wearing is like obviously very different because it has all these handprints on it. And I just lean over to my buddy and I just say, do you need a hand? And it was like the stupidest joke. Like this guy's brutal. This guy, and it's but like for whatever reason, like once he started laughing, and you're, it's a service, it's a worship service. You're we're sitting in pews in a church. You're not supposed to be laughing. But once he started laughing, like and I started laughing. It was like one of those things we we just couldn't stop laughing. And yeah. it like we started to like cry and like have to bite on our hands because we were laughing so incredibly hard at the stupid joke. I think. So, only because we weren't supposed to be laughing and it made it funnier. Yeah. That like suppression that, (laughs) that, that just that gnawing on your skin to try and just make it out of life. Thinking of something terrible. Yeah. Yeah. To try and get out of laughing. It's like when Fergie sings the national anthem and I forget. Oh, it's Draymond Steph Green. Yeah, they just, they just start he's breaking. Just, he's like, Oh my God. It's so bad. And it's like, you can't help but laugh. Yeah. Um, do you, we can, we can save this for later, but I, do, do you remember the time we went fishing in Louisiana? <laughs> oh, dude, I, I, I thought you might tell the story of, I will never forget that trip. Yeah, I remember. Uh, we, we laughed a lot on this trip oh and gosh, so I guess funny. you and I, uh, shared a, we shared a room, we each had our own bed, but we shared a room and because we had to wake up at 4 a.m., we couldn't sleep at all because we were just dreading waking up at 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we had different expectations for the uh, thermostat, I remember. <laughs> you wanted it Arctic chill. I wanted like a little more, you know. You wanted to like crack the window open and just let the I wanted like a mid-Atlantic <laughs> vibe, like an a la fresca. But I remember there was the lodge we stayed at had this old guy, Bob. You know, he's in like his 70s. I don't remember like, this at all. He was like the old timer at the lodge. And we were dreading him waking us up at up at four. Oh, yeah. He was going like, to wake everyone up. Yeah. He's like, I'll come and knock on your door. Yeah. And I remember at some point, like the night was just lost. Like oh, we're both gosh. tossing and turning. We're debating the AC level. And we just like made a joke about... <laughs> Oh him yeah, coming, yeah. him coming to get us at four, and I'm already he, awake. He cracks open the door, and like the light from the door opening slowly illuminates you in like a, a rocking a, a chair. chair. Yeah, and you're just smoking a cigarette with, with a lit cigarette. And you, instead of him saying anything, yeah. you just say, "Good morning, Bob." <laughs> you're not gonna wake me up, Bob. I've been up for hours. Just, just a cigarette burning in my hand. I don't, I don't even feel it. Bob, good to see you. You're not going to wake me up. I wake me up. Yeah, just losing it. And Bob just like turns and runs. (laughs) I remember at one point during that night, we couldn't fall asleep because we just like, yeah, what's like the anticipation of death is worse than death itself. Like we just knew. It's exactly that. We knew it was going to be such an early morning that like we just became afraid to fall asleep because we knew it could come at any, essentially waking up in the middle of the night. And I remember at one point I asked you what time it was. And you just started laughing and you're like, if we were back home, we'd be cracking, we'd be cracking open a film right now. It's like, it was midnight. It was like midnight. A fresh Sonic run, get some slushies. Yeah. Not even that big a deal when you're in high school, but like when you're on this trip, you're like, we have four hours before like an 18 hour day starts and we haven't slept at all. Yeah. (laughs) That was, Uh, that was a hilarious night. 
Brutal. Um, I wanna, I wanna play a little game. Um, that sounds really jokery. <laughs> I wanna play a <laughs> game. Sweet. Laughter is the best medicine. Slaughter is the best oh medicine. Um, so, uh, the question is, what made you laugh at blank age? So five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five. Mm-hmm. We both turned thirty this year. Um, so we can take this up to 30 and it, I, I was trying to do this and I was thinking about my life and like, what did I find funny at this age? Because like what I consumed at age 20 versus this year when I'm turning 30, vastly different content. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know, what do you think about going through every five years of our life and, and thinking of one thing that you remember finding really funny at that age? Okay. I like it. I don't really remember what made me laugh when I was five. Do you remember? Jeez, when I was five? Yeah, it's probably like I remember watching like Scooby Doo, the kids first. Are you in are you in I think well, I think I was seven in first grade, if I'm remembering correctly. So six in kindergarten. Like pre K. Pre K, yeah. I don't even like, remember. It's like Barney, is that Yeah, maybe. Ace Ventura. I <laughs> know. I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's older. That's pretty deep cut. Let's go to ten. Okay, let's go ten. So 10, you're like, I don't know, what is that, like second grade? Uh, grade? I was eight in second grade, so I think that's fourth grade. Okay, fourth. Now we're getting into like being a real person. All right, Miss Leahy's class. I'm just thinking back to who was, where I was, Lamar Elementary. This is like the year 99. Oh, geez. Funny stuff. You know, I had like a ton of, I just remember that I had a ton of anxiety back then, like just about the dumbest stuff. And, but I, I, yeah. Um, my boy, I remember once like going, uh, riding, I used to ride my bike to school, um, all through elementary school. We lived really close. So I would just ride my bike. And I think like once I, and my mom would ride with me like up until I think third grade. And then I could go by myself, like with my friends. And I remember my friends picking me up. Um, and we, and it's a, it's like a four minute bike ride. And I remember one of my buddies, um, Kale, he, he fell uh, and I just thought we just like made fun of him for so long for that, that like, he just like, kind of like, got, like went off the path a little bit and then like hit a tree or something. And it was the dumbest thing, but like, we just couldn't stop laughing about that. And he got like scraped uh, or something. And so I don't like someone getting hurt was funny. I, if I'm, I guess like, yeah, when your buddy gets hurt, I think physical comedy peaks like from age 10 to 13 for you. Okay. Yeah. That's um, interesting. That make that might make some sense. I, I remember like Dumb and Dumber and oh, Austin Powers. Yeah. Dumb and Dumber was huge at that time for me. I kicked it. I actually kicked it last week, and it's still pretty funny. But it is it is like big physical comedy nineties, and uh, mm-hmm. I would rent that every weekend from Blockbuster and just like kick that VHS mm-hmm. like none other. My parents should have just bought it for me at that point, but. Yeah, um, I think that was also like my happy, like so. Happy Gilmore was big. Happy Gilmore. Mm-hmm. We actually had that on VHS um, and a bunch of other stuff. But we would watch. It was like Happy Gilmore, and then eventually like that thing you do, and like to- oh, I was yeah. like Tommy Boy. Like we would watch those movies. Um, really like the like the Billy Madison, Tommy Boy, Happy Gilmore, the Adam Sandler stuff. You know, Chris Farley, Beverly Hills Ninja. We crushed a lot. Yeah. Like we watched that on. VHS and and we would do 30 minutes every night. And so it was like me, Ken and Cars. Um, Cars was super young, but like dumb and dumber was in the, in the mix too. Like you do 30 minutes 
you know, whatever your like 30 minutes is before bed, you go to bed and then the next night you pick up where you left off. And then when you finish the tape, you go back to the beginning. And so I've probably watched like a handful of those movies a hundred times because we just would literally, we wouldn't watch TV. Like we would just have those movies on repeat and that, that type of like very big physical comedy, um, you know, him slipping Ben Stiller a few bucks to take care of his grandmother. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like those, just, just some of those scenes just live. Really, for, yeah. Really irreverent stuff. Like at, yeah. at age 10, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll close age 10 on this anecdote. I, I, I remember like playing, I played a lot of baseball and Chris, Denu- Chris Denucci, I think was his name. Uh, he was like the ref, the umpire called him out mm-hmm. or something when he didn't think he was out. And Chris Denucci just walks back to the dugout and goes, that ump has a pole up his ass. <laughs> I remember thinking that was like the funniest thing I had ever heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's just like such a 10-year-old fourth grade thing to say. I love um, it. I love it. How about 15? What made you laugh at age 15? Oh, that's such a good question. 15. All right. Prime. F- yeah, 15 is interesting. Um, <laughs> a lot of things changing. A lot of things in, in flux, <laughs> in motion. Um <laughs> Man, a lot of a change. Good some good, some some, some bad. Very bad. Uh, fifteen. Oh, I worked for a guy when I was fifteen who had a rat tail. Uh, his like hairstyle, which is like Rhyme. a ponytail that's just not developed right. So just like oh yeah, massive yeah. Like and I just remember me and the other employees would make fun of his hair all the time, and like we thought it was the funniest <laughs> thing. That, that he was like seriously and intentionally rocking this cut because he thought it was cool and it was a legitimate like rat tail and um, we roasted him so much behind his back and, and I don't know like making fun I started working when I was 15 like so yeah. making fun of your boss was like became funny and making fun of authority I think became funny your teachers and <clears throat> yeah yeah <laughs> a rat tail is like what you would find in an 18th century locket that you like gave to a girl when you wanted to go steady yeah yeah <laughs> her like dad had to approve it um that's so funny at age 15 man we're kind of answering this in different ways but that's cool i i mean the office that was when i discovered the office season like one two three. Oh yeah um we discovered that together i felt you showed me you showed it to me yeah, I would watch it like on my iPod color. Oh gosh. Just kick season one and two every night to fall asleep. And that was uh I that was just I would call it like the birth of my comedic like adolescence. Just I was becoming my own being comedically. I mean, really I was a carbon copy of like Jim Halpert, like a poor man's Jim at age fifteen. I was trying yeah, really hard to be Jim, but hardly a carbon copy of John Krasinski. <laughs> yeah, I was just like him. Just as <laughs> he was desirable. My Women wanted me the same. Um yeah, I'll I'll jump on that with you. The office was hugely important to me in, in comedic development. Scrubs was very important to me. Um, before, you know, long before the office, but the reruns were on and, um, Seinfeld watching Seinfeld as a kid. And, um, I think, yeah, like that, like being able to quote things to make, and like was really interesting around this time too, for me and like movies have such a uh, significant place for me and, and my family and my brothers and I would always quote movies and it was like the game was quote movies that 
like uh, drop movie quotes that apply to situations that have nothing to do with the movie and try and make your brother laugh because they, they're like the only one that knows what you're quoting. And like, I remember all through high school, like, because like our friends and my brothers, like we all watched like those similar movies and we in the office and we knew what we were quoting. And then getting to college was actually the first time I realized like, Oh, like my style of comedy doesn't work because I'm just ripping off other people and right. the, the, and it's creative because you're inserting like you know memorable quotes at at applicable times and and maybe only a few people and it just got to where like nobody knew what I was quoting and so I would say yeah. something that that made no sense in the moment um and uh, like like where the where the uh, beer flows like wine and the women yeah. instinctively flock like the salmon of Capistrano, <laughs> like that Dumb and Dumber line, and like I'm talking about a place called Aspen, you know, and like, <laughs> yeah, people yeah. just wouldn't know what I was talking about, and it was like it actually an incredibly lonely experience of like oh like comedy laughter these things are very like tribal, and what is funny to like one tribe is not funny at all to another. Yeah. And I feel like that was my like uh, around that around that fifteen time is when some of that started to change. Uh, that's I think that's really astute um, and really true. And then like by age twenty, for me that was really happening like ten x mm. because like at age twenty I started getting into like what I guess what you might call like off humor like IFC, mm-hmm. um, like really like we're outside SNL this and. This is really coinciding with like the dawn of the YouTube era and like um, Funny or Die mm-hmm. and all these other comedic outlets where you could kind of exercise your muscles and like consume different type of comedy. Whereas in the 90s, it was like, here's Chris Farley and here's SNL. Really funny things. But, you know, 10 years no, later. Yeah, no one had access to that, to creating content like that. <clears throat> right. 10 years later, now you have mm-hmm. all these different people creating comedy and all these different styles. Um, so like at age 20, like the whitest kids, you know, was yeah, like the yeah. funniest thing to me because it was so different and so mm-hmm. off. And so Brian's talking about a, a essentially canceled <laughs> sketch comedy show yeah. on, on IFC. Uh, yeah. It, very funny. A lot of the bits are very essentially like uh, a key and peel type type setup, right? Pretty kind of pr- pre key and peel. Yeah, kind of proto Key and Peel. Not to say that like Key and Peel took from Whitest Kids because that's not true at all. I imagine Key and Peel were doing comedy at the same time, but it was like the birth of this really like deadpan, really off like non sequitur mm-hmm. is a word that comes to mind. Like the the punchline does not manifest in the way that you would expect, and maybe there is no punchline. It's almost like post punchline yeah, comedy, it's alternative comedy. Yeah. Yeah, and you would, for me, I would, I would just like stay up and watch it on YouTube, and it would have like ten thousand mm-hmm. views, which is not a lot. Um, this is also the time where, like, the f- I'm, did you have a flip video camcorder? Did you have a, f- oh, a flip? I, I didn't, but you did. And I, I remember- did. Yeah, it was like this camcorder that, like, and I think they still make them. I wouldn't be surprised, but like, you you flip this button, and a little USB stick flips out and whatever you record on this you can pop into your computer via you know usb and download the digital video it was like really the birth of digital video and and making it cheaper and more um democratic yeah more democratic and i remember like filming stupid comedic videos with matt womack and putting them on youtube and creating like the colin and matt show and let's make a show it's like i was afraid you guys were going to have a show and i was super pissed (laughs) 
And it just like I remember one episode was like me napping on the couch. Matt sneaks in um, through like the sliding glass door behind me and and scares me. And it was like we thought that was the funniest thing as kids. And like looking back, it's just nonsense. Um, but like, yeah, that's that's when all that to say, like, it didn't matter how much money you had. It didn't matter if you didn't have to have a show. You didn't have to have any sort of credit. You right. know, this stuff. Be, and then, of course, that only continues with smartphones and eventually like Vine. And so like you and I have our own kind of relationship with Vine, Ryan. We can maybe talk about that. But um, yeah, I wrote that down as an age 25 for me, like what was making me laugh at 25. Mm. And it was like two things like I was consuming Vines just like crazy. <laughs> and then. 25 yeah, was digital I, content. Yeah. And 25 was when I really got into stand up, like listening oh, yeah. to consuming just endless, every piece of stand up from a subset of comedians that I could get my hands on. Oh, here, yeah. And here's a great uh, story that you and I were involved in, Rye. Um, for your birthday one year, 18, I think. Oh, yeah. You took us 18. to see Dane Cook. Yeah. And like when you're 18, Dane Cook's hilarious. And, uh, maybe not, maybe not for everyone, but like, we like going to a live, of course, that was the first comedy show I'd ever been to. And it was, yeah. it was in the, the Toyota center where the Houston Rockets play. I mean, he was like the, the arena comedian. Of course we didn't know that. So my, my first experience with live comedy was you have 40,000, however many, you know, yeah, it's a big number. commercial event. Yeah. Which is like, not at all. I think how I would define comedy now, but yeah, even just going to that, like we're going to go to a comedy show in like the city and like that was a really exciting thing when I was 18. Um, and I, and I think that that, yeah, definitely around that time is when, is when stand up comedy starts to progress for me as well. Yeah. But then I think at least for us, like that becomes less funny and stuff like Louie stuff, like, mm-hmm. um, Tom Segura, Jesselnik, uh, and of course, I, we have to name the Chappelle show as like a, a precursor oh, huge. To, to all of this, which is yeah, like, yeah. yeah, just like an off the wall alternative sketch comedy show. Where you have one comic writing these bits that, um, and of course he's going to later accuse Key and Peele of stealing his show as like kind of yeah. his famous accusation. Yeah. He really, I think, I think for our generation comedy, our comedy adulthood starts with Chappelle show like that mm-hmm. informed so much about how we laugh and the jokes we make. And that was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, yeah. And like, or whatever, uh, yeah, was, like early SNL with like T- Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. I, I remember yeah. like they were explosive on, on SNL. It's like Amy Poehler would do like the goofiest faces and voices and basically like, yeah, and of course this is kind of in line with like Chris Farley stuff of like what doing anything you can for, for a laugh. Yeah. Um, um, what made you laugh at 25, five years ago, five years ago, 25. Um, yeah. Vine, Vine was big that year for me, that specific year. That was when I tried to record and release a Vine video every day that was just completely fictional and comedic. And it's really interesting because for a long time I would, I would, I did it for a year and you could like, I like, uh, and these were funny, man. (laughs) I don't know. I I don't know about that, but there were just these like vine was great. Cause when it came out, it was six seconds. Uh, you couldn't edit, you couldn't reorder anything. And it was essentially like the flip camcorder for the smartphone was like, you press a button and it records and you only have six seconds. And when you let go of the button, 
it stops recording and whatever. And if you missed a scene, like you wanted to do a one second scene in a bakery, like you had to go there. And if you missed it, you had to go back, right? There was no editing. There was no, let's do three or four takes. It was like one take. And people started using that to get like as creative as you could with like stupid magic tricks and, um, you know, just like uh, silly, just comedy. And, and I don't know, for me, it was like, how can I use this stupid platform to like make people laugh? And it was a lot of fun to like realize like, yeah, we actually all have cameras in our pockets now and and we can record ourselves doing dumb stuff. And none of it was real. There were a lot of people making vines for like, I'm sure much better reasons, but it was like, how can I chronicle just a, a fic, fictional part of my comedic, you know, life in a comedic way? And you were in on a ton of them, and it, we did I don't a know, few, yeah, it, you would spend an hour or two making one six-second video because you're it just for. I guess for me as like a creative type, like who's also like I think music and and playing a ton of like live music as as a kid and fifteen is I was like playing drums and bands and then bass. You know, we can we'll talk about that. I'm sure in the music section, but the the performing music and performing comedy really go hand in hand for me um and yeah just like i guess when i was 25 the uh, the office still makes me laugh i watch reruns of the office now but definitely when i was 25 that was huge and um yeah i don't know like i've always loved sketch comedy stuff stand-up comedy even more that's when it probably really took off for me was 25 like the art of stand-up comedy and I, I think what about you? Yeah. It was around that age when, if not a little sooner, you and I both gave our gave stand up comedy a shot. And I think we should table that. I think we each have like a story or two from doing stand up. Yeah, we gotta talk about um, stand up. So so let's bookmark stand up. Um I mentioned Vine and, and stand up being big for me at twenty five. Uh to to conclude the the segment at age thirty, what's making us laugh this year. Um I find myself laughing really hard at things that aren't branded as comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, like a couple examples are like the movie Phantom Thread. I I found to be a drama and and really elegant, but also like profoundly funny. Um, really? And I don't want to. I don't. Uh, okay, yeah. Spoiler: If you want to see the movie Phantom Thread stop listening but um it's about this dressmaker in the 1950s and the whole movie paul thomas anderson directing he's done comedy daniel day lewis who's like not uh, you wouldn't think of him as a comedian Mm -hmm. and the whole movie is really stressful and really button up prim and he's this really demanding dressmaker and he gets manipulative controlling super controlling and like the movie begins with him like just dumping his girlfriend and he uh kind of seduces a waitress and and she becomes his girlfriend at one point but he's really hard to like be with and so she's struggling with this and he gets really sick at one point and um he gets sick because she poisons his food as a way of like keeping him close to her and mm-hmm. keeping him dependent on her and it's just like she's enforcing this like weird like maternal romantic complex where mm-hmm. she makes him sick so that he slows down and is bedridden and relies on her to get better again mm-hmm. and vicky crepes is her name she's, okay yeah. yeah 
she's she's just delivers a tour de force in this movie and she does this and it's working out for her Mm -hmm. um and the whole time you think that it's happening to him unbeknownst to him and then at the very you know end of the movie i can't remember exactly what happens but it's revealed that Daniel Day-Lewis is aware of what's happening. He's aware mm-hmm. that she's poisoning his food, mm-hmm. but because he has such like a strong Oedipus complex and like a messed up relationship with his mother, he lets her do it to him. And it's like mutually fulfilling. And I found that so funny when I was watching the movie, because it's like mm-hmm. this perverse humor, not perverse in like, I mean like a psychosexual way, but perverse in like a way that deviates from what is normal. And yes, I still laugh at like normal things, but I also find that and like the movie Midsummer, like really darkly, strangely <laughs> in a macabre, strange way, really funny. And it's just, maybe it's really? just nice to laugh at new things. Maybe that's what I'm saying. Yeah. What's, what's the name, the scientific name, uh, Mun- Munchausen by proxy is the, I think the specific I name. Um, yeah, it's like, I think it's Munchausen or something like that by proxy. And it's this, it's a sp- that where, um, a caregiver, some you know, someone in a position of power is intentionally poisoning somebody that they're responsible oh, okay. for. Um, and yeah, like that's that's like what's happening, right? Is and it's it is yeah, that's interesting to name that. And yeah, I think I think things like comedy definitely like evolves. Like I I don't know, like we I've talked to you recently about the Eric Andre show, yeah, and how alternative that is, and he's essentially making fun of like. Um, your standard late night shows with just like the most random weird, like you'll say, Oh, and here's George Clooney. We got George Clooney tonight. And then like a guy who just kind of looks (laughs) like George Clooney comes out and he'll just pull out a cake and be like, have some of this cake, man. And I'll be like, I don't want any cake. And he's like, seriously, have some of the cake. And like, it's just like the most random off the wall stuff that like you're, you're so overly familiar with the comedic form now that like he's deconstructing it by just being random. Or like there's one scene where he just starts looking at the camera guy and like then the camera pans like essentially offset so he's like breaking down that fourth wall and like him (laughs) and the camera guy are just staring back and back and forth until like all of a sudden the camera guy's head just explodes like it's the dumbest it's the dumbest (laughs) thing it's like so alternative but i don't know that makes me laugh so hard that kind of like just like randomness like kind of like meta post comedy it's like we're post label i don't even know what to call it um yeah yeah so I really want to talk about stand-up comedy and a number of other things, but in the interest of time and just being able to have more conversation about laughter, why don't we stop there for today and we'll pick up next week with part two of this conversation because I feel like there's a lot more to be talked about. How do you feel about that, Ray? I feel strongly. I uh, I see a little tonal shift coming in episode two. Maybe we'll the conversation will meander uh, in a few new interesting directions. Um, so yeah, I also drank a lot of coffee, so could definitely use uh, a little break right now. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, so we'll break it and uh, hope to see you guys back with us next week for part two of laughter. And if you have any stories of your own, any uh, things that particularly make you laugh, uh, quotes about laughter, anything that you find interesting about laughter, please send it our way. Bar to death podcast at gmail.com. And of course on social media and all that stuff. Anything else before we close it out, Ryan? Uh, I just want to say we will catch you guys AC Slater. AC Slater, there it is. All right, till next time. Bye. 9 p.m.
with street lights It's never too late to readjust your seat Sit back and think right You never can trust oncoming headlights There's war 